You are listening to a podcast of the Fleming Foundation. We are an organization pursuing real learning, original scholarship, and thoughtful living in a dying age. Welcome back to another episode of Islam, the the truth about the religion of peace. I'm Stephen Heiner, and with me as always is our guest, Dr. Sergei Trifkovich. Dr. Trifkovich, thanks for joining us. It's good to be with you again. Well, Dr. Rifkich has had some illness, and we're happy to have him back with us. And the last time we spoke, we were getting a little bit into the so-called theology of Islam. And when we left off, we were beginning to get into the eschatology of the religion and understanding the relationship of, of Allah to, to both believers and unbelievers. Um, I'll, I'll let you pick it up from there, Dr. Trifkovich. Well, the most important point uh, for starters is that uh, in Islam, the uh, Quran is the word of God, unadulterated, pure word of God, which only passed through Muhammad's mouth. Uh, However, uh, since the Quran does not contain sufficiently detailed instructions regarding uh, the normative way of conduct, practice, and, and so on. There is Sunnah, uh, which we can translate as a well-trodden path, and which is mostly based on four collections of Hadith. Uh, hadith are collections of sayings and actions of Muhammad conveyed by his successors, and sometimes there is the isnad, which is chain of transmission, which goes for decades. But it must be added that uh, the four authoritative uh, collections were completed between 150 and 200 years after Muhammad's death. So it is extremely dubious as to whether they are indeed authentic words and actions of Muhammad. And uh, Many Western scholars of Islam at a time when uh, it was still possible to study Islam uh, through the prism of critical scholarship, unlike today when the dictum of political correctitude makes it well nigh impossible, many scholars considered these collections of hadith politically motivated uh, tracts which were created ex nihilo by uh, the authorities in Damascus and later Baghdad to uh, justify their own uh, legitimacy and uh, legal codes, which had nothing to do with uh, the original teaching of of the Prophet of Islam uh, in his actual lifetime. The most important point uh, when it comes to eschatology is that Allah is allegedly the same as Yahweh Elohim, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, explicitly, Muhammad says in uh, 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 Surah 29, verse 46, Our Allah and your Allah is one, and it is to him we bow. He is eternal and absolute. But the absolute unity and sovereignty of Allah is so transcendent, his uh, existence is pointed out by order of nature and order of life, but he cannot be known, he can only be obeyed. And uh, the whole concept of 
two-way relationship between God and man, between God and his creation, which is depicted in Michelangelo's uh, immortal fresco on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, where we have God on one side, on the right side, reaching out with his forefinger to Adam's forefinger on the left. That would be considered sacrilegious in, in Islam. First of all, to give any notion of, of human form to the Almighty, and secondly, the notion that uh, he is reaching out to uh, his uh, creation, the man, and that they can somehow be in a two-way relationship. That too, uh, is, is completely contrary to the principle of Allah's absolute transcendence. But that absolute transcendence has a problem for a Western mind, because he is both everything and nothing. He cannot be grasped by the human mind and is greater than anything we can comprehend. And every thought about him is insufficient in force. Therefore, he can only be worshipped. And uh, uh, the important point, which uh, I think, uh, again, one dare not make in the Islamic world, is that uh, his transcendence and yet omnipresence is so absolute that we do nothing and say nothing and think nothing without his will. And uh, he is so omnipresent that even at birth, he knows in advance whether the child will end up in heaven or hell. Now, to a Western rationalist, it, it appears somewhat strange that uh, Allah the Almighty would create human beings predestined for eternal damnation and suffering. But that, again, is not a question you can ask in uh, these uh, oh, ever so multicultural times. And also, uh, what is important is that uh, the ultimate consequence of this oneness in himself leads us to conclude that Allah is the only real being with real will and real existence. And the rest of his creation, all of us included, has only a contingent existence, which then leads us one step further, where it can be argued that Allah is all, which is the essence of pantheism. And that's, of course, enough to get you uh, beheaded in Saudi Arabia. Well, something else that might get you beheaded is the pointing out of these contradictions that you've mentioned this in, in other places before, but uh, for claiming to be people of the book, they certainly don't seem to have the same account of creation. Well, first of all, uh, the whole notion of people of the book is an Islamic invention. Because whereas uh, the Jewish Old Testament and uh, the Christian Gospels uh, are not assumed to be or do not claim to be direct word of God, except where that is quoted as such, including Sermon on the Mount and so on. In uh, the Islamic tradition, the Quran is, as I mentioned earlier, unadulterated word of Allah only conveyed through Muhammad's mouth. Uh, and uh, 
the fact that some verses can be abrogated in favor of later ones makes us wonder, did Allah know, and one has to presume he did, or it did, uh, when the earlier verses were revealed that there would be later ones which will be very different and even contrary to the early ones, like in Mecca, Muhammad's uh, revelation stated that there is no compulsion in religion. And that is the one that uh, Muslim apologists all over the world will mention any number of times. And uh, then there is a later one in Medina, uh, uh, the, the famous verse of the sword, uh, Surah 9, verse 5, which says that uh, the infidel has the choice between converting to the real true faith, paying the jizya, the poll tax, with the trembling hand of uh, willful submission or death. And, uh, of course, there is a world of difference between the two, but, again, Allah is implicitly capricious, and we are simply not allowed to wonder why would he do that and uh, whether such change of mind is uh, internally coherent. But that's what uh, the former Pope Benedict meant when he said that uh, Islam, no, he didn't say it as Pope, but as a bishop in his Regensburg address, he said that uh, Islam was incompatible with Logos and that uh, the essence of Logos is that God cannot act in contradiction to himself. Right, and, and one of those contradictions would would be, as you say, stating one thing and then another. In, in, in regards to creation, uh, it's in one part six days and in another part two days. Yeah, right. And there's always some easy explanation, but I think for, as you say, <laughs> uh, any, anyone who, who, who is an outsider to the religion would just see this as a contradiction. And if there is no contradiction in God, uh, I suppose this is a very Western way of thinking, isn't it, Dr. Trifigurich? There's no, if there's no contradiction in God, then the, the text itself is subject. But uh, for, for, uh, for Muslims, it's coherent. Well, at its very foundation, Islam has a theological contradiction because it attributes a host of human characteristics to Allah. Uh, he's merciful, he's loving, and so on. But at the same time, attributing human characteristics is a sin. It's called tashbih. And uh, at the same time, it is sinful to divest Allah of all attributes. That's called tatil. Both are mortal sins. And uh, it uh, reminds one of, of Bolshevism, where in 1935, you were not allowed to say that, uh, say, Bukharin is a traitor, and in 1937, you were not allowed to deny that he is a traitor. Uh, the difficulty of dealing with the nature of creation and the creator uh, arises from contradictory views in, in, in the Quran itself. Because his Allah is described as unique, but he also has eyes and ears, hands and face. Now, are we to believe that the reference to Allah's eyes and ears are purely metaphorical? Well, the problem then is that you are beginning to analyze Quran 
in a critical way, which is itself forbidden. So, Tashbih is forbidden out of the fear that it's practiced may lead to paganism, and Tatil is feared because it may lead to atheism or agnosticism. Either way, it is, in fact, a whole world apart from the Christian understanding of God, who uh, shares his knowledge and felicity and power with his creatures. And uh, in that sense, we can really say that Christians and Jews do not pray to the same God as Muslims, that uh, the whole concept of the creator and master of the world and uh, the whole uh, notion of absolute transcendence and exclusion of any possibility of two-way relationship uh, uh, results in a, in a completely different and uh, much more barren concept of deity. Speaking of our, our creatures, uh, or Allah's creatures rather, who, who else inhabits a creation apart from humans in, in Islamic theology? Oh, well, there are all kinds of uh, interesting creatures. Uh, we have, for instance, uh, the genies and angels. In fact, uh, Muhammad's revelation started uh, with the appearance of uh, what he believed was uh, the Jewish archangel Gabriel or Jibril, who ordered him in a cave uh, above Mecca, in uh, 610 AD to read from scroll. Allah has created the angels and other spiritual beings called the jinn or genie, creatures of fire, able to eat, drink, propagate and die. And uh, that uh, creation preceded that of man. They differ in that they're capable of freedom of choice. So that uh, again, like in, uh, in uh, Christian eschatology, the devil is, in fact, a fallen angel. Sometimes they uh, materialize and can be seen. Mostly they remain invisible, but they are present all the time. They all also can be converted to Islam or be obedient to the biblical king, but their exact role uh, is somewhat unclear beyond the inevitable fact that both jinn and men were created to serve Allah. Uh, there is also, as I said, the devil, who is uh, known by two words, shaitan, derived from Hebrew, or iblis, derived from the Greek word di diabolos. A Muslim has to believe in these creatures to be righteous. And uh, Islamic angiology and demonology are almost wholly based on later Jewish and Christian traditions. The angels are believed to be free from all sin. They neither eat nor drink, and there is no gender between them. They are usually invisible except sometimes to animals, though they do appear in human form at times. As I mentioned, when Muhammad had his first revelation, uh, by Gabriel, the bearer of divine uh, gifts, uh, which marked the beginning of his prophecy. Uh, Satan is uh, somewhat ambiguously defined, so it's unclear whether we are dealing with only a fallen angel or the leader of a whole group of jinn disobedient to Allah. But his rebellion started with the creation of man when uh, 
God created Adam from clay and ordered other previously created beings to prostrate themselves before Adam, but uh, Satan or Iblis uh, refused. The order of prostration is really strange because in Islam it is an act of worship due only to Allah. And so why should Allah create man from clay and then order previously created beings to prostrate themselves before this newly created entity. Islamic commentators have taken this to mean that Allah's declaration to angels that man is superior in his capacity for learning and growth. Another possibility is also that uh, this implies the spark of divine spirit, which is inherent to man. But uh, on that, Islamic tradition does not dwell in any detail. Yes, it seems to be, again, a, a vestigial uh, remainder of Christian theology, because obviously with, with man and with the incarnation, this would begin to make some sense. But it, it doesn't make any sense uh, in this context. Well, both Christian and Jewish, but uh, we need to point out that uh, uh, the whole Islamic eschatology uh, containing uh, skewed or misinterpreted or simplified uh, versions of Jewish and Christian traditions uh, really denudes them of complexity and sophistication which both Christian and Jewish traditions contain. Well, an another tr tradition within the Christian and, as you say, Jewish traditions is the notion of the fall that that human nature has fallen. Is this the same in Islam? No. Uh, first of all, the Christian belief in the fall is uh, very closely related to the second person of the Holy Trinity, salvation and uh, yearning for the Savior. Uh, this longing for the Savior was present in the Jewish tradition with uh, uh, the uh, appearance of Christ and uh, with uh, the miracle of his rising from the dead on the third day, we have the historical fulfillment of, of that expectation. In Islam, on the other hand, we don't have the notion of fall or salvation. Men are neither fallen nor saved. Uh, there is no original sin as such. And so all we can hope for is uh, to obey Allah and to strictly follow his commandments as conveyed uh, in the Quran and the Hadith, and all be, will be well if it is his will. In Islam, sin is not treated at any great length, and uh, the only one which is unpardonable in addition to disbelief is shirk and that is association of other divinities with, with Allah because it results, it, and this is important to point out, in an explicitly nominalistic system of ethics. Nothing we do or say is good or bad as such. Uh, it all depends whether it is allowed or forbidden and uh, whether we do something that is right or wrong uh, cannot be personally judged on the basis of our natural sense of morality. It has to be based uh, to 
the revealed will of God or, or the traditions of the prophet or the explanations of those traditions by subsequent commentators. And what uh, Islamic scholars have been doing for centuries on end is essentially drawing nominalistic deductions from the existing pre-existing, pre-existing body of uh, the Quran and the Sunnah or Hadith. I'm, I'm thinking that in in an Islamic world, Hamlet would say that thinking is neither good nor bad, but Allah makes it so. so more or less, and uh, to be or not to be would be an illegitimate question. <laughs> you are to be and obey and pray five times a day and uh, hope for the best. Well, we've been speaking about the beginning uh, of man the, the, and and the creation, prostration, the fall. What about the end of man? What happens uh, when, when our life comes to an end? Uh, well, we are all predestined to be either sinners or virtuous believers, and uh, we will be rewarded or punished accordingly. Uh, what is curious, as I said earlier, is that everything has been willed by the Creator in advance who naturally has the capacity to make us all virtuous believers. But as Allah says in uh, Surah 36, verse 7, we have set a barrier in front of them and a barrier behind them instead. So had it been his will, he could have brought every soul its guidance. But in the event, uh, according to Surah 32, he will assuredly assuredly fill up the burning regions of hell with those whose destiny it is not to be so blessed. So, really, we have, again, uh, Allah has the ultimate watchmaker who creates beings that, uh, regardless of what they believe, uh, their independent thoughts and autonomous actions, are only acting out his will. And... uh, so the day of resurrection or judgment will be preceded and accompanied by all sorts of fearful signs, but uh, all of that is just a pale reflection of those mentioned in the New Testament, including the resurrection. Uh, it will be general extent to all creatures, but everything is known in advance. And uh, to paraphrase the Christian liturgy, uh, there will be no uh, questions asked at uh, uh, the final day of judgment, uh, the, uh, or the the destiny of each and every soul is preordained and unfathomable and at the same time unchangeable. Allah is supposed to keep precise count of both good and bad deeds of every person and weighs all words so that uh, there will be an error-free account on that day of judgment which is, by the way, the source of lifelong anxiety for every Muslim, because nobody knows why he leads some to paradise and uh, others to hell. A Muslim can simply prostrate himself before Allah like a slave before his master. He doesn't know what will be his lot, eternal life uh, in a very sensual hereafter, or damnation, which is extremely, extremely painful. I mean, it's it's fascinating because realistically, faith or or merit has no basis in this system. It doesn't matter if you believe. It doesn't matter what you've done. 
Uh, it's, it's simply others will. Well, uh, let me repeat, uh, you are simply obliged to follow uh, the teaching, the commandments, which are based on the finite body of knowledge and which are known by deduction. And any sense of naturalistic, say, compassion or sense of right and wrong, uh, of, of what is good, what is bad, is out of it. So, for instance, if we know that uh, Muhammad married Aisha, his youngest wife, when she was seven, and that he consummated the marriage when she was nine, it is not uh, for us to judge whether a 52-year-old man uh, having uh, intercourse with a nine-year-old girl is good or bad by virtue of having been performed by the Prophet, it is inherently uh, acceptable and commendable. Well, uh, speaking of pederasty, uh, Dr. Trifkovich, that is something that was only permitted to potentially Mohammed in, in the present life, but that's something that's waiting for all of us in the afterlife. Uh, well, when it comes to uh, those girls and as well as boys that wait for us in the afterlife, again, uh, the Huris uh, are not the Huris, uh, and there, there will be 72 of them for each Muslim, and he will possess the manliness of a hundred mortals in this heaven of perpetual youth and copulation, uh, are not exactly human. They, in fact, seem to be different in, uh, in uh, the substance of creation from, from humans. They could be said to be almost like robots created entirely for uh, the physical gratification of righteous Muslims. But there, there is also a fairly ambiguous uh, description in the Quran uh, that uh, the righteous will be served by uh, handsome boys, pure as pearls, dressed in green garments of fine silk and heavy brocade, and adorned with bracelets of silver, but they will be used to drinking wine. And this is in Surah 76, verse 21. This has almost pornographic uh, homoerotic connotations. Yes, it, it's it's a very it's very strange because again this is very far from from Christian theology this 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 sort of vision of paradise that of a very you're de describing the silks and 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 then again the the carnal actions are, are there's just nothing like this in Christianity, so it's a. There's no crossover. There's no way for a Christian to to try to contextualize what what an Islam Islamic person visualizes. No, absolutely not. And uh, in fact, uh, the repeated reference to flowing fountains and uh, murmuring streams uh, also indicates the barren desert as the origin of the faith, because it's obvious that uh, uh, ample availability of uh, fresh, cool water is uh, a very important aspect of Muhammad's vision. The, the, the Huris are famously black-eyed, and I think it would be important for our listeners to get the context of, of who the, the black-eyed are in relation to some of these announcements of martyrdom as, as these uh, young men are, are going to this paradise that you've described. 
they they are their relationship with the with the black eyed is discussed. Can you can you can you speak of that? Uh, for instance, uh, let me quote from uh, specific announcements of suicide bombers' death in in the Palestinian press, uh, which often take the form of wedding announcements. Uh, Quote, with great pride, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad marries the member of its military wing, the martyr and hero Yasser al-Adhami, to the Black Eyed. Uh, that was uh, in October of 2001. Then Saeed al-Khutari, who exploded himself and killed 23 Israeli teenagers at a Tel Aviv disco on June 1st, 2001, uh, wrote just before he did it, Quote, call out in joy, O oh my mother, distribute sweets, O oh my father and brothers, a wedding with a black eye awaits your son in paradise, uh, and, and so on. So it's not really wedding, again, in any meaningful sense, because the black eyed are automatons. They are not partners. They are not someone you share your afterlife with in a any sense comparable to our notion of marriage. They're just the object of physical enjoyment. Well, Dr. Rufkovich, I know we're, we're coming up on our time for today. So can, I know you've alluded to it in different places, but can you sum up essentially the, the difference, the, the, the key difference between Christianity and Islam in, in its theology, apart from all these, these little differences that we, or little or large differences that we've been, been looking at, what, what, when a Christian is engaging with a, with a Muslim on discussions, let's say you could find a Muslim who'd be willing to discuss these issues with you, what, what should be underlined as the key difference uh, to help facilitate that conversation if there is to be one? The key difference is that uh, Christian God loved the world and uh, sent his uh, uh, only begotten son to be the savior of fallen men, and uh, to become wholly human while remaining wholly divine, uh, to suffer and to be resurrected, and thus to provide fallen men with a path to salvation. Uh, to uh, Islam, this uh, notion of triune God is uh, not only alien, it is shirk, because it implies uh, what they would call polytheistic understanding of Allah, and also the notion of two-way relationship between God and man, between God and his creation, is uh, both sinful and incomprehensible. Uh, the difference ultimately is that uh, Christianity gives us the free will, it gives us the discernment, the understanding and knowledge of good and bad, and in Islam, uh, it is purely nominalistic, and uh, morality is entirely the function of obeying clearly defined commandments and not making moral decisions that reflect uh, the freedom of our will. Well, as always, Dr. Trifovich, thank you for your time. We are having surveyed some of the aspects of Islamic theology we're going to be getting into in our next episode, Jihad, both as it was defined and as we see it expressed in the present day. And we look forward to speaking with you then, Dr. Dufovich. It will be my pleasure. Thank you for listening to a podcast of the Fleming Foundation.
all rights are reserved. These podcasts are made possible by our paid members who ensure that our hosts and writers can contribute regularly, not on a volunteer basis. If you have any questions about anything you heard on today's episode, or if you wish to acquire rebroadcast rights, please email podcasts at fleming.foundation. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at the Foundation, make the most of a dark age.